Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 1st, 2011. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find hundreds and hundreds of audios there for free download where you'll perhaps get an understanding of the, the big picture of the system, this massive one system that already overlays all governments across the planet, been in existence a long time as a parallel government, may call it a world government, and how it's really pulling all the strings through various treaties through the United Nations to bring us all together into one system. And eventually all the countries will fade away in a sense because they'll be selling parts of them all off. You're under regions already, in fact, under the United Nations. And they don't even call you nations, now they call you states. And, uh, and that's even getting torn up into regions. And then, of course, there'll just be uh, massive city-states, super city-states, according to some of the top players at the United Nations itself. So help yourself to those audios. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you can help me by buying the books and discs I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can send cash, or you can use PayPal. You'll find a button for PayPal on the com site, uh, and you can also get instructions on how to order the books. After, after you've sent the donation, you can send an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Remember, two straight donations are very, very welcome. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and then you have PayPal again. And again, once again, straight donations are certainly, certainly welcome. But very few folk understand the system that we're going through. They don't know, understand the history of it, the organizations that have been involved for hundreds of years uh, to bring this world into this new system all the various sciences that are working together too, uh, using all your universities too, to bring it into being, in fact, even programming each generation of what they call world managers from the, the top uh, universities to, to see things in the proper way, the way that they're supposed to, to serve their masters. And they do. They're very well trained, and they come out, and they become the new managerial class over the general population. You always go for universities. For the rest of the public, of course, you're shut into kindergarten and you're given your early indoctrination there. And once you're into school, uh, they can give you many, many more indoctrinations to make sure you're prepared for the planned changes which you will experience as you grow up. And you'll take them for granted because somehow it seems inevitable. You've already had the basic programming instilled there, a familiarity with it, regardless of what it happens to be. And that's how perfect the system is. That's not a new technique. Beria talked about it at the Comintern meeting in Soviet Russia in 1934. They already had it planned down to a very good level at that time where they could upgrade society every five years or five intakes, put it that way, of children. And that's how they progressed it and did all their planning for their 50 and 100 year plans. So we have the same system working in the West and very few people know it. You can't even look at a cartoon for children today 
without getting programmed into environmentalism, adults are bad, they ruined the planet, and all of this kind of propaganda. And that's all it is, propaganda. And most folk read novels, they watch the cartoons, they don't understand that the Department of Culture, which every country has, by the way, uh, pays the writers and producers to do this kind of work, uh, as long as they, inter- they put in the proper, the proper politically correct updates for everyone. And that's how it works. Some countries, uh, the so-called artists and revered novelists, live on grants from governments, and that's no lie at all. What is this big system? Well, you won't like it. The austerity part was planned a long time ago too, including the breakup of the nations. We're going through both parts right now, and I'll talk about this a little bit later when I come back from this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. And on this broadcast and all the broadcasts I do, I try not just to give you the latest scary news, because, you see, scary news is dished out every day. And it's forgotten the following day is to give you more scary news. And that's part of the control as well. It's, it's really a matter of picking and choosing what really is relevant to the big agenda. And, uh, and there's so many tragic stories, too, where people getting killed with policemen and so on. Uh, that, yeah, you'd like to talk about them, but you could fill the whole talks with them, and uh, nothing happens anyway. It doesn't matter on the big scale of things. It's a matter of conditioning us all that you're, we're under authoritarian systems now, and it's to get a lot worse. Yeah, it's to get a lot worse. I'm not just guessing I'm a gloom and doomer. I'm just stating that because I've read all the big boys' reports. And believe you me, uh, the state of uh, employment or unemployment they want to bring us all down to uh, it means it's going to be awfully, awfully bad. It can't be any other way. And this covered term austerity, when they had the planned bank crash and then the planned bailout, and gives, gave them the excuse to ram austerity down the public's throats for bailing out the bankers with their tax money. That's the reward you get, you see, when you live at the bottom of the heap, like the masses. Because I've said before so many times, we're technically we're farmed. And I can remember reading John Stuart Mill and then his son's books on economics, and they were into demographics too because population um, was one of their main areas of study. You can't do economics without understanding population shifts and immigration, that type of thing. And you can't do it either unless you bring in sociology and anthropology even because John Stuart Mill and others were listing every ethnic group on the planet, uh, their weak points, their strong points, what they could be used for, what they were no use for, and that kind of stuff. And it's quite surprising. All that time ago, they had all the different peoples marked down for special uses uh, for, a spe- for specific lengths of time. It's interesting, too, even going back to Charles Darwin, for instance, and you find that Charles Darwin wasn't just the little guy who was running after butterflies and, and that kind of uh, nonsense. He was actually well involved in politics, as they all are, and he wrote books, too, about who should be sent out to rule over other countries. And remember, he was on the go at the time uh, when this shady group that eventually called themselves the Milner Group, the precursor of the Milner Group, were on the go too to do with the British Empire that would rule the world, at least for a while. And um, 
and how the elite themselves would rake all the benefits in, which they always do, even today, even through bank crashes. But he said, too, that eventually China, and can you imagine saying this in the 1800s, eventually he says we could use China to, to um, get the Africans working in Africa. Uh, they're much more disciplined and they'd be good overseers. And here we are today watching China move across uh, in mainstream media, across Africa, doing just that. It's quite something. And you think you're just drifting along down through time, reacting like politicians are reacting to the situations that come out of the blue. Nothing is further from the truth. And if you understood even the amount of years of planning that went into amalgamating, for instance, Europe, the European Union, long before they even got to to start with the the first lies about it, this economic association um, and trade association, it, it must have taken them 50 years or more just to do the planning stage. And that's how you run. The world's run like a big script, and the people, and uh, we were, we were farmed, we're part of the economic system. Countries really are businesses. Collectively, you're a business, and your country is a corporation. And uh, we're watching the corporations amalgamate. We're watching other ones buy up parts of other companies, other nations. And, uh, and this, of course, is a new feudal system that Professor Carl Quigley said was deemed to come in and we're, we're living through it and of course like all big things it takes a tremendous shake up and again all the tragedies that go along with it too the unemployment uh, the massive suicide rate, suicide rate amongst youngsters who have nothing left to hold on to which was also predicted in the back in the, the, the 30s and 40s by uh, by Huxley's brother Julian, Julian Huxley who worked at UNESCO for the United Nations he said once we have brought in the atheist society Massive promiscuity, but no breeding, he said. He says there will be a, a lot of fallout amongst people because they'll have no religion to fall back on, no meaning for life. But that's just something that we have to go through. And so there's nothing happening, literally nothing happening today that wasn't planned an awful long time ago. And that's what you have to catch on to. Your media is controlled. It's an essential uh, part of governing your mind. And therefore, uh, it does an awful good job by keeping distracted updating your programming, always giving you your thoughts for the day and your opinions on any particular topic. They make sure you get the right opinions, the authorized opinions, and you will part them uh, perfectly well. Now, we know, getting back into the awful media, um, that that, uh, really the day that they started bombing Libya, for instance, we know that all news on Japan pretty well ceased that same day across all the media. We know they're all in collusion and they'll take orders. But uh, I'll put a link up tonight where you can see some of the emails that passed in Britain at the higher levels of government to, to do with keeping it all quiet uh, from the public and uh, keeping us in the dark, putting out counter stories, telling us that radiation was safe, etc., which they did do. And... Uh, and uh, you'll see how it really works. This is your so-called free press. They're free to print any lies they want on behalf of their masters. And, then you know, the U.S. hasn't a clue what's coming down. You haven't a clue in the U.S. Um, what's coming down your way because it's been the highest, you've had the highest standard of living on the planet for such a long time, only, only because the U.S. was essential because it's a massive tax base that it had to fund all the wars and to fund other countries to come up 
through the World Trade Organization to a, a higher standard from a third world standard to a second or first. It's your tax money that's doing it. It's your tax money that funds most of the United Nations' massive bureaucracy, bigger than any government combined, really a whole bunch of them combined. And the U.S. supplies the, the bodies that go off with the weaponry to blow up other bodies. And they get nothing back in return themselves, of course, and that's always been the way. Before them, Britain was used for it until they were utterly bankrupted by the time of World War I. It took them a 100 years to, fin- to pay off the last of the interest on the, the cost of World War I. 100 years. And um, with the way that the U.S. is borrowing right now, and they are borrowing like crazy to, to finance these wars, not for their own benefit, by the way, but uh, this article here says U.S. military's air conditioning bill for Iraq and Afghanistan every year is $20 billion. That's for air conditioning and the bases. $20 billion per year, just that alone, eh? And because it's such a, a big tax base, people think, well, that won't affect me. Oh, yeah, it's all going to come home one day. And your prices, which are artificially kept low, if you, if you compare them to the rest of the world in Europe, eventually have to go sky high to match the rest of the world. Think about it. And then you have a massive debt on top of it. The big boys who encourage it, of course, won't be paying anything like that, but you'll all be suffering with it. As you play, as you play your days away and go into fiction, and try to be happy. The same techniques been used, as I say, in Britain and other countries before you, for centuries. For centuries. Again, John Stuart Mill said to some peoples, he said that you can struggle through the, the worst conditions, and uh, to do with economics, of course, and you can transplant them across the world, and they'll still work in equally unpleasant conditions on a, a low income, low. Uh, food ration, that type of thing But they're so happy And it's true, some, some cultures are just so happy It's in their genes, I guess And they're awfully good workers And that's the kind that they like Everyone's been used in turn up until now Now I mentioned too During this week about the rubbish to do with uh, There's too many people in the world Too many people in the world They have given you the RAND official reports and the main organization for the United Nations telling you that uh, the populations in the Western world and elsewhere, even in Australia, uh, that domestic populations have been plummeting, absolutely plummeting, and it's only through immigration that they've managed to keep them up at all. Now, you think about it. These same guys that go back to the 1700s that were doing economics and population, this this is already a science. Uh, Why do you think... Why do you think uh, during the, the post-World War II era they kept harping on about the baby boomers? Well, there too many baby boomers, which there weren't actually. And um, they say now we need massive immigration to pay off the national debts of all the countries. That's the excuse they're using. But why would they tell the domestic populations to go out and rut like rabbits, as I say? And, and that, that literally is the terms that, that's been used at the top. Uh, as long as they didn't have any children. Encourage feminism and encourage uh, even pu- pre-pubertal sex, as Russell said, so that they wouldn't bond and wouldn't get married and have no children. That was the whole idea of it. Why would they play that on the populations of Europe? And then, uh, now, now they're, they're, they're saying, oh, we've got to bring in more immigration. I mean, you think they didn't see that coming? Don't you understand there's many forms of warfare? 
There's economic warfare. That's one of the biggest ones. And the, the embargo is even on in warfare too, where they can cut everything coming into or out of a country so they can't survive financially. But many forms of economic warfare too, just done through the main banks. If you're, it's not your banks, of course. All your central banks are not yours, as we all know. But they, they themselves can inflate or deflate uh, the currency at any time at all, and uh, cost uh, the cost of living goes sky high. It's even too expensive to hire people on. People get laid off, and you have massive unemployment. But but population control is one of the biggest ones. Why would you bring down the domestic populations when it was already in the charts a hundred odd years ago? They'd have to bring in massive immigration. Who do they want to wipe out? Because that's what it's used for. And it was all discussed well over a hundred years ago. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about how so many things come into the, this idea of warfare. Uh, very old ideas, of course, not always used. Uh, during World War II, they had all of the displaced persons. They had a pretty good average of, of how many displaced persons there would be in Germany at the end, and what countries would be given the, the tour of bringing them all in and, and settling them in and, and paying for it too. And it's never changed. If you want people to move, of course, you, you also create wars in their own, around their own homelands, and out they come. And if you want them to come to certain countries, you make sure that the best, best welfare systems in the world. Britain, for instance, has been advertising pretty well. It's got the best welfare system in the world, especially for newly arrived immigrants, even illegals, it doesn't matter. And 30 years ago, they were printing that mainstream newspapers in Britain uh, that uh, the people were coming from all over Europe and elsewhere because it had the best welfare system. So naturally, you'd go there, right? You'd all, you'd all do the same. But uh, this article here says UK population grew by half a million last year, the fastest rate for half a century. It doesn't say the best rate, but it's the fastest rate for half a century. For well over half a century, they've been telling you have no children, right? That's been the message. And be good. Don't have children. There's too many people in the world. And, and the British folk were doing awfully good, just like every other people that were told the same thing by the governments. And then the women were given incentives not to, not to have children and to go out and get a career, etc. But this is a technique that's used. It says Britain's population left by almost half a million last year, the biggest jump in half a century. The 470,000 increase was driven by near record levels of immigration and a rise in birth rates that was itself partly a result of growing numbers of immigrant mothers. So there's now 62.3 million people in Britain. And uh, it's shot up even all through the Labour government, and we know that um, when Blair was in his second-in-command, the guy that had taken over from him said in the mainstream, and I read it on the air, that he was told to open the floodgates to, to Britain because they wouldn't have enough children to pay off the national debt. And he also said, that, and, and Thatcher said the same thing before, uh, before Blair said it. So it's the same agenda regardless of party, you understand. This is what you must understand. There are no parties as such. They put a show on and they do a good, a good talk, but what they actually do is completely different from what they say. 
And uh, Blair also said he wanted to so drastically alter the face of Britain and its culture forever that the people could never go back to being what they thought was the old British system. And that's been achieved. And then you look into uh, Ireland too, and if you were to take the first headline, most folk just read the headlines. They think, oh my God, Britain's got a high birth rate. No, it's not high. It's been the highest for 50 years. Ireland's birth rate is the highest in the economic union, the whole of Europe. But then you read on, and it says, uh, new data from the Economic and Social Research Institute shows that over 76,000 births were registered in 2009, giving the country the highest birth rate of any country in the EU per head of population. And it says, uh, France was just behind Ireland with a rate of two, while Hungary, Latvia, and Portugal had the lowest rates that year. You understand when you hit two, you're, you're, you're not at replacement levels. You're under replacement levels. And it says here, the ESRI says the fertility rate now stands at a level required, now stands at the level required for long-term replacement of the population in the absence of any net inward immigration. But then you scroll down again. It says the ESRI says almost 24% of the births were to mothers born outside of Ireland. So it's immigration again. You see. All planned a long, long time ago. Everyone's used in turn. Including the immigrants too. When their time turns up, times up, they've done what they were, it was planned for them to do, uh, they'll start plummeting as well. Everyone's used in turn. Remember I said before how John Stuart Mill, uh, had every group listed for their high qualities, their low qualities, how to manage them even, uh, their temperaments, uh, and that kind of thing. It was from his ideas, in fact, that they actually said, uh, and Wells said the same thing, they'd have to get rid of the American Indians and the Irish and the Scots because they kept revolting against injustice. And, of course, the whole plan was to create injustice. Interesting, isn't it? It's all coincidence for you, isn't it? I'm sure it's all coincidence. Yeah. But that's what you're living through, a big long-term agenda. There's Northumbria, and, you know, you think if you're born in a country that uh, who can possibly own the water? I mean, no darn well they privatized the water system in most countries years ago. I can remember in Britain when it was a bunch of guys in the House of Commons, politicians who brought forth the bill on, on the behalf of a bunch of the, of the House of Lords, and they got the Water Bills uh, Privatization Act through. And then those same politicians immediately left Parliament when it was passed and formed the first company to own the water supply. That's the cons that go on, right? And it, it takes permission to understand from a higher authority to get that con going. Otherwise, believe the, that higher authority would have them all in chains or at the bottom of the River Thames or wherever it happened to be. Northumbrian water shares edged up 4.3% to 420 pence this morning as it was confirmed that the Chinese group Chongkong Infrastructure Holdings has signaled takeover intentions. Chongkong is owned by Lai Kaixing, Hong Kong's richest man, and analysts have said a bid could value the British utility group at up to 2.6 billion pounds. Everything's for profit now. Remember I told you years ago, everything that you need to live, the basics, Food, shelter, water, heat, clothing is going to be out of sight shortly. That's the big plan, owned by private feudal systems. Back to the feudal system of Carl Quigley. That's what he was talking about, folks. Back with more after this break.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And just before I go to callers, uh, every country has a, a society or an agency that deals just with population, but they're part of an international society, all dealing with demographics, uh, eugenics, etc., because that's really what's also combined with it is eugenics. And this one for Britain, uh, one of them for Britain, one of the biggest ones, is, I'll put this up tonight to all these links at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It says, the Population Investigation Committee, its history and influence over the last 75 years. The Population Investigation Committee, a small independent research group, small independent research group, you see. That's why nothing came out to the news about them. was founded in 1936 and since World War II has been housed at the London School of Economics. Well, where else would they put it? Professor Sir Tony Wrigley, chairman of the Population Investigation Committee from 1984 to 91, chaired an afternoon symposium to celebrate the launch of the historical archives of the PIC at the Wellcome Collection. And the link's on the page two, Conference Centre on Friday. It says some of the history of it too. And it says the Population Investigative Committee, PIC, was funded amid considerable controversy concerning eugenics, birth control, and even the study of population itself. They actually took your sociological group, uh, your families, the family histories. They could predict what kind of worker they'd get out of the next bunch of stock. And they actually called them stock, by the way. So it's through the study of demography, its founders, A.M. Carr Saunders and C.P. Blacker, sought to realize a means of improving the human race, which is generally called in their own writings stock that was more consistent with contemporary scientific, social, and political values. In their appointment of David Glass, however, the work of the PIC would also reflect the political arithmetic of the great critic of eugenics, Lancelot Hogben. In this paper, I'll explore this tension between the ideas of social justice, efficiency, and improvement as reflected in the demographic surveys of the PIC. In other words, if you're a farmer, you want to understand and be sure of getting the right kind of stock for the right kind of work. doesn't eat too much, uh, but gives a lot of beef off or something like that before it gets slaughtered. I mean, that literally is what it's all about, economics, you see. And it's always been about economics. That's what the human people race are. It's about economics, nations, as I say, are corporations. They're farmers at the top. You are the stock, and you're the soldiers as well when need be too. And a soldier gets nothing out of the whole deal except the old tin medals. But eugenics is a big, big part of it all. It has never died away, and uh, it never will die away. It's, it's completely intertwined. It's an integral part of economic studies. You must know your population types for the type of system you're bringing in. And they're bringing in specific types of people from certain countries to make sure that they'll have no problems down the road when it gets pretty, it gets even worse. Now, I'll go to the callers now, and there's Cedric from Chicago, if he's there. Hello? Yes, I can, yep. Yes, I just wanted your insight on a couple of things. One, um, I read an article where uh, they were doing federal funding for Chicago High School. Yeah. And they would send uh, people out to uh, get the students to come to school, and then they also would call. Then in an in article they said it was modeled after ComStat, a New York City police system. 
programs that require precinct, I mean, precinct commanders to uh, analyze and answer weekly crime statistics. The second one I would want your opinion on is that um, I noticed, too, they said that Wall Street was pushing the lobbyists for all them uh, gay marriages, and they had some insurance that they was going to sell them. And also, they said that the, uh, the, uh, the people who were getting hired the most was homosexuals, and law firms and government agencies was leading the pack. I wanted to know uh, what, what you think about that. Oh, there's no doubt it's a policy. <laughs> There's a definite policy. It's been pushed for years, and it's, it's, it's politically correct at the very top levels. Uh, so much so that, that in levels of, of even local governments and in city governments, they're so out of touch with the general population because they're always upgrading themselves first. You always upgrade the managerial class before you upgrade the rest of the peasantry. And uh, uh, they're so politically correct that after the big G20 meeting in Toronto, for instance, um, to chew, because the cops were absolutely brutal and, and hated afterwards, still are today, for what happened at the G20 and the brutality they showed uh, and the hatred they showed towards the general public. You could see them charging in as though they were charging to kill them. And uh, to cheer up the public, uh, Queen's Park, that's the, like, like the, the provincial government, decided to bring in, to cheer up the public a week later, the, the Dykes on Bikes parade. That was going to cheer up the general public. Uh, I mean, absolutely crazy idea to cheer up. Why would the general public be so concerned, uh, or so happy to have the Dykes on Bike Parade after they almost got massacred at the G20 meeting? I mean, but that's how, how out of whack they are. This is an agenda. And um, we, we find way back in the writings um, of the people involved in setting up the League of Nations, they said they would encourage uh, homosexuality because they wanted to, to literally get rid of uh, uh, the domestic populations, basically. But, and they wouldn't breed. That was the idea. So they said everything that, that pr- promotes um, um, not having children would be pushed to the, to the forefront, and that's definitely part of the big, massive agenda. The problem is you've got the silent majority, and, and you understand the silent majority form a symbiosis with the rulers over them. Uh, the rulers can't do, can't do without the, the, the majority, the silent majority, and the silent majority apparently cannot do without the rulers. They'll accept any kind of system that's forced upon them. They'll, they'll, they'll pay any amount of taxes that are forced down upon them. Uh, they'll get sent off to war when, when, it's, when they're told to go, and they'll go. And they get nothing out of it themselves, and that's what they call democracy. That's why they like the term democracy. So when, when a tiny minority or a, a, a small minority will brave the storm and come out and say, this is wrong, we're not happy with it, uh, they'll say, well, what's wrong with you? All the rest of them accept us. Same thing with Homeland Security and all the airport scanners. What, what's wrong with you? Everybody else is going through here quite happily. That's a silent majority. But you're, you're quite right. Um, uh, all of this stuff is getting promoted through the schooling system. Uh, there's, there's a lot of suicides now with young people who literally are so confused about everything. And never mind their gender now, getting, getting forced upon them. Well, if you just let them grow up, they'd be fine. They'd know who they are. But now they're getting told there's something wrong with you if you haven't tried this with another guy. And counselors will actually talk to you about it that way. And then the peer group, the ones who pretend they're on the avant-garde and on the cutting edge, oh, I tried it, haven't you? And then you're the outsider. You're the only person that's doing the normal thing, normal being what's happened for thousands of years. Nature doesn't care, you understand. Nature only cares if you're productive. Meaning passing on your own species. 
that will not change. You know. One one more thing. Uh, they also said that uh, a lot of places are telling saying that if he was on unemployment or unemployed for a certain amount of time, they were telling people don't need don't don't apply. And also, they said uh, a young black population in Washington D.C. and Baltimore, they said had hepatitis C yeah. from age fifteen to twenty-five. Think about that. Yes. Oh, absolutely. These things were engineered. There's no doubt they were engineered to get rid of specific population groups. And that's old stuff because uh, the British papers from Porton Downs, uh, a reporter went into Porton Downs, that's the biggest warfare establishment in Britain uh, for bacterial and viral warfare. It has been all through World War II to the present time. They actually did, they just moved. But anyway, um, they, 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 this uh, reporter from one of the big newspapers put up a full page on it. And he said he couldn't believe he was sitting there. This is in the 70s, by the way. And he said uh, these scientists were having their breakfast in the canteen talking about the race-specific and ethnic-specific viruses that they already had. They were so perfect, they could go through a whole nation in a week from coast to coast. And then, and then they, were prog- they could actually program them only to multiply so many times and then go inert and die off. That's how far advanced they were back in the 70s. And the guy was allowed to publish this stuff in the newspaper. So they can target any particular group they want. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And they're doing it. They are doing it with the hepatitis C and, and the AIDS vaccine, the AIDS and, and all the rest of it. It's interesting too that the original AIDS was different from the present, um, HIV, as they call it. The original AIDS brought, it was mainly homosexuals. In fact, it was all homosexuals down, except for the ones who were getting, uh, cheering needles or the ones who had transfusions. But it brought them down literally within a year they were dead from diagnosis to, 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 to them. It was about one year. And they had different symptoms than the HIV that they have today. Uh, the present HIV has been widely debated initially, and then the government slammed down on, on people who were top scientists who said, this is not a disease, the HIV is different from the AIDS. They, they, they claimed the HIV was actually a, a, a harmless carrier. Uh, not carrier, but it's called a... a um, um, it's a harmless virus. It's a passenger virus that people are often born with, and uh, that wasn't the cause of it. But the medications that they're giving them once they're diagnosed kill off their immune system. Remember, these medications were put out there initially uh, for cancer victims to, to, to literally kill off the next generation of all cells that are trying to renew themselves, hoping to kill the cancer as well. But it was killing off the patients. So they said, what we're going to do with this drug now? We've made it all. Well, they, 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 they said, we'll give it to the AIDS patients. Now that destroys their immune system, and they go down quickly. So uh, uh, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. When things don't make sense in a logical fashion, uh, there's another agenda behind it. And uh, but the, the same thing with um, hepatitis as well. Uh, that was fairly rare uh, back in the 70s, and, and now it's just so incredibly... Uh, virile, it's, it's altered, it's altered. They've all been weaponized, basically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks, Al. Th- thanks for calling. Uh. Thanks. thanks for calling. Uh, and uh, we'll try Joseph in Florida, if he's there. Is Joseph there? Yeah, it's Justin. Yes. That's Justin, is it? Yeah. Yes, yes it is. Oh, okay. uh, hey, uh, I was reading here um, in the first book of Kings, um, in the 14th verse, it says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600, uh, 600, uh, three score and, uh, uh, 
do that, except like I really noticed some really odd things about a guy that just really didn't make sense. But like, you know, just how like he tells people to kill him and he tells people not to kill him. It's just you know like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just didn't get it. But but I saw this number here in Kings, you know, and that's the same number of the beast, you know, that everyone talks yeah. about, right? So like, uh, you know. Yeah. I know the Freemasons are obsessed, like with Solomon's Temple, but what exactly is the connection there? Because like the beast is bad, and you know, yeah. and the temple is good. Is that just showing that like the good is in the bad too? Uh, um, and, and one. I mean, the bad and the good. Sorry. Yeah, and and one thought system. Uh, you're you're right in one one form, and Masonry definitely. Whether you talk about the the head above, the head below, the head below is the penis which is base, it runs on base instinct, the head above runs on intellect. But they also say that your man, the, the black and white squares too, uh, you can travel through your life on that chessboard there, and you'll, you'll hit the, the dark phases and, and the up phases, but you should also know what you've contrib- contributed by your own decision-making to, to your own, um, uh, the, the currencies that eventually affect you down through life. You bring on your own problems to an extent. But you're right with the Old Testament. I mean, you've got to understand too, uh, that it was written much later than claimed, much much later, because uh, you, you find even, I think even Abraham, uh, when his wife died, uh, and he took her to the mountain and so on, and he, and he paid so many shekels for it. Well, they didn't have the shekel until about 800 BC, and so they didn't have any coinage at all until 800 BC. Before that, you simply had you weighed out the gold. So that there's a lot of nonsense. It was it was written much much later, uh, and uh, it does depict a deity. Of course, as you know, even Genesis has got uh, talking about Eden and the river flows through it, flows out of it. And then it says, and there's lots of gold, and I think it's onyx or something there as well. Now, why would a, a deity, a creator, care about gold being outside there? You know, that's a man's thing. That, that's that's the, the, the greed. That's the merchant's thing. That's not what a creator would be on about. So you understand, when, when people write a religion, uh, they tend to project humanity's own nature onto their deity. Uh, that, that's what they do. And you will see in the Old Testament too, you have a, it's very interesting, there's an exoteric and an esoteric, it's written in both fashions in, in the one. But you'll find in, in uh, you, on the one hand, you have someone who lays down laws. Laws are, are, are the series, what, what runs the whole system. And, on the other hand, you'll find a deity that will sometimes break the laws that he would force upon the man. Uh, because he blesses um, Jacob uh, for stealing the birthright of his brother. So, I mean, Jacob dressed up like the hairy guy by a, by a sheepskin cloth or something, very Masonic, of course, but put it on his chest. And uh, his dad was blind, and he had to pass on the birthright by putting the hand on the head and doing something else with the other hand, which is not the thigh, by the way. And you, it, you get the blessing. And, of course, uh, Jacob lied. And God blessed him for it. So I guess God must bless the streetwise guy as, as long as it's done with cunning, you understand? And that's what Masons say themselves, that they like something, they'll allow something to pass if a scheme has been brought out and forced through cunning and craft, as you say. So you, you, so it's very contradictory in, in, in a sense. But if you look at the Old Testament, um, then, and then again, even Moses uh, didn't get to see the Promised Land after, you know, supposedly leading all, all the people through. 
uh, because he struck a, a rock with his staff to get water for the people who were dying of thirst. And God cursed him for that. Uh, God told him not to do it. So uh, you have a picture of an old man who is going a bit senile and, and he's got temper tantrums. He, he needs a course in rehabilitation somewhere for his anger management, as far as I'm concerned. But on the other hand, the Old Testament gives you the rules to survive as a people. That's what it's for. Nothing else. A people to survive like, like a, in, a, in a time capsule, down through time, only with their own survival in mind. Now, in the Old Testament, it gives you the rules on how to do it. Slavery is okay. Lots of things are okay. Um, as long as you follow these particular rules. And then you combine it with the Talmud, which goes into it in much more detail. And uh, it's really meant for survival of one people and nothing else. That's really what it's for. Yeah. That's exactly what the elite want, you know. The yeah. <laughs> so. and, and it's really it's really something because um, most people don't, don't understand really what it is. They've been taught a different version of it. They've, they're never told about Talmudic thought, which is the predominant thought in all Judaism today, for instance, is, is Talmudic thought. And, um, and the, the rabbis... Um, of, of wisdom or philosopher rabbis, you may call them, um, are the ones who wrote the two versions of the Talmud, the Babylonian and the Palestinian. Uh, you know, so that's what you have to study if you want to understand what it's about. But I understand them, they want to survive, I understand that. Back with more after this break. Folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And I don't know if, if Joseph is still on the line, is he? Is he yeah, here? yeah, yeah. So I understand your confusion when you when you read this. And masonry, of course, was founded uh, basically out of a sect of Judaism, right. and uh, and that's why they, they adopted all of the the Old Testament uh, stuff. Although Albert Pike himself, from the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, as I say, which is not Scottish, is from the Grand Orient of France. Uh, he said himself, we could just as easily have picked Nimrod as an example instead of Solomon and used the principles of building on the tower, etc. But technically they did. So uh, you've always had secret societies, as I say, and uh, you'll find them in all organizations where there's money and power involved. But you also find it in religion, all religions. And uh, as I say, in Judaism, you have the latent form, it's called the B'nai B'rith, and Sons of the Covenant, and then, of course, you, you have a, a Gentile wing of it as well. And you, you'll find even in some of the Arab countries, you still go by the old assassins, as it's often called, or Hashashin is, is the real name of it, uh, where they had used some of their, their top um, holy men to, to, bring in a, uh, to raise orphans, actually, initially, trained them that this was utopia on a hilltop, gave them everything they wanted, and then and great education, then sent them off to be advisors for top personnel across the, and kings across the, the world and princes. And they could lie dormant like a sleeper for 20 years until the order came to kill the top man, and they, they would just do it. So you've also had these organizations. Today they're all linked together, of course, and uh, all very, very wealthy. And, uh, and often they will use the, the rag-tag uh, army of uh, lower religious followers 
uh, as pawns in the game who don't know what's going on at the top. They don't know there's other agendas going on at the top level. Uh, you have elitism in all groups, but when, when you get money and people living off of the rest of the people, they like to say that these, those are my sheep, you know, that's, I feed off these sheep here. Uh, and, and, and that's what religion really is for today. Um, Christianity came along and it was an, uh, it was basically an evangelical system done through trying to persuade people initially to join, but it also, um, was trying to break the bonds of a priestly class because if you take the writings of Jesus, he says, you know, you don't need a priest, basically. You can go off and pray to God yourself. That was a revelation in those days. Uh, and that was a, that was a, that was a, basically a terrorist act by saying that in, in those days. But it also gave hope to everybody who was nothing or nobody. No one thought themselves as poor individuals. I'm a poor individual. You just belong to a low uh, class. Uh, and for the first time, he says, there's a deity that cares about you. So it was antithesis of Judaism at that time. And that's why he came into conflict, of course, with the rabbis. And the rabbis themselves came out of Babylon. There was no rabbis before that. There was only the, the, the temple priests, descendants of Aaron. And uh, uh, the, the rabbis were a brotherhood when they first came out of Babylon, who despised and looked down upon the ordinary Jewish people even. So... Uh, there's so much to it that, that, that's not given to the public or even to the general followers. Uh, they don't even know um, what's running them from the top. And, and it will never change. That will never change as far as I can see. Even I noticed too with all the slurs that were put on, for instance, Moncton that went to Australia to do with the, the nonsense of carbon. Uh, he's a very, very good talker. And the radical environmentalists were basically calling him like a Holocaust denier, basically, smearing him. Uh, and a Nazi, because he was against the environmental program, at least the ones they were pushing. That's a religion. And Gorbachev said, he says, we shall create an environmental movement like a religion, he says, that will base on a form of earth worship. It has been done. Religion's awfully useful for those who know how to manipulate it. But thanks for calling. From Hamish Monsieur from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, may your God or your gods go with you.